So our main passage, Scripture this morning, is rather long. We are continuing in the Gospel of Mark, and today we're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read up to 26, but in the message time, I'm actually even going to go further. We're going to cover a large swath of territory, but it all has one single unified theme that hopefully we'll see as we go through it. So Mark chapter 8, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, and, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 7,000, or for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man. And begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his own home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is God's word for his people today. So this morning I want to start with a vocabulary word for the day. Obtuse. Familiar with that word? Obtuse. Lacking in perception or understanding. It's a good one to hold on to because you're not really allowed to call someone stupid but you might be able to get away with calling them obtuse, and it, it's similar. Uh, but when it comes to the things of God, humanity is obtuse. We can't see or understand the things and ways of God. There's another way to talk about that, and that is spiritual blindness. That people, men and women, are are blind to the things and ways of God. And we who've put our faith in Christ and have, have come to see him, that God is good and, and he's our father and Jesus our savior, ultimately we've come to that point because God has opened our eyes to see. That he gave us eyes to see all of that. And I think what happens is we can forget that. We can forget and be mystified that the people of the world don't understand what we're talking about. And, and we, we, we can't 
understand. And we forget that they are spiritually blind. They're blind to the existence of God or blind to the goodness of God. Um, they're, they, they're, they can't grasp the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. They're blind to the ways of God. And so, so often the, the struggles we have with the people of this world is, is that they, they can't see that. And, and we have trouble figuring that out. How do we respond? Jesus came to bring the light of God into the world. But people could not see or understand. We're meant to know God. That, that's what we're meant for. We're meant to know and be known by God. Re, but remember what it, it says, and we said at Christmas, right? The light has come into the world, but the darkness has not overcome it. Or really, you could say, it could not grasp it. Could not comprehend it. You would think when Jesus came in, in this time, the, the ones that who would get behind him, who would, who would be set up to receive him, would be those to whom God had given charge of the law, the, the scriptures, and the temple, the religious leaders of his day. But it turns out that they were the most blind of all. Jesus said about them, disregard them. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both of them fall into the pit. Don't follow them. The theme of our, our section we're going to cover today of Mark 8, the theme is spiritual blindness. Mark has, you know, kind of lined up these stories where people cannot see or understand something. And right in the middle of them, though, he puts the story of Jesus opening the eyes of a literal blind man. He puts this, the story of a miraculous healing in the middle, and he's making a point. So let, let's start a little before the healing of the blind man in verse 11. And what we get there is Jesus is having yet another argument with the Pharisees. We've seen quite a few of these now. And they come to him, and they, they want from him, they want Jesus to give him a sign from heaven to prove himself. You know, if, if he's some miracle worker, if he's a prophet or whatever he is, give us a sign that we can know if he's from God. And Jesus' response is, he sighs deeply. Like, have you been watching? There, there are, are people who could not walk, who are now walking around on legs. Like all the miracles he's done in public. He's done even more things in private with the disciples. Like they saw him walk on water, calm storms, you know. But even just what he did in public for people to see should have been enough for them to say, this man is from God. But they want another sign. And I'm trying to think, what are they, think what are they thinking? What's in their mind? And the only thing I could think of is they're picturing Moses. And when Moses was talking to God at the burning bush, he said, give me a sign that when I go to the elders, the, the people of Israel, I, I can prove that I came from you. And what did Moses get from God, his sign? Remember Charlton Heston throwing down the staff and it became a snake. That's maybe what they're thinking. They're thinking something like that. You, you throw down a staff of wood and it becomes a snake, Jesus, then, then we'll believe you. Um, and Jesus says, no such sign will be given to this generation. 
that's not how he's going to prove himself. That's not the way he's going to show himself. Now, of course, like I said, Jesus did many signs, um, mostly to the disciples. And I think it shows also why he so often, when he was going to do something miraculous, said, don't tell anyone. It's not yet time. I want people to see and believe on different terms. There would be one very public sign. And in other places, Jesus says, the sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. Just um, the sign of Jonah, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the great fish, for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and rise again. That will be the sign. The death and resurrection of Jesus will be the one sign on which people, Jesus wanted people to put their faith, not all the miracles that he did. So he leaves the Pharisees, and he's with his disciples, and they get in the boat. But this argument, this debate, is still on his mind. You know how that is. You have a conversation with someone, and in your next conversation, you, you, you're still thinking about it. And so he brings it up with the, the disciples, and he gives them a warning. He warns them, Beware, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Um, the ESV version uses the word leaven. I don't know if we use that word too much. Maybe bakers do, but yeast is probably a better. The yeast, it's that little bit of stuff that gets in the whole bread. It's in just a little bit of their teaching. If it infects my followers, could, could lead to bad things. So beware their teaching. And there's two different dangers. There's the danger of the Pharisees. Legalistic, blind religion. Taking the law and what was meant to, to lead people to, to, to following God's ways instead applying it in a blind way and, and legalism that, that you measure yourself by, by the, the, the Pharisees got it all wrong. Don't be like them. Um, but then there's another side, the, the danger of the teaching of Herod, which is seeking political power and prestige and cultural power and prestige in the church. And I would say that both of those dangers the church has faced throughout church history. Um, at times, we've, we've um, got caught up in those, those teachings. So Jesus is making a very important point. But what are the disciples here? Yeast. Bread. He's talking about bread. Oh, did we forget to get bread? Oh, we don't have enough bread. We only got one loaf of bread. Who was supposed to get bread? Hey, Thomas, weren't you supposed to go buy bread? And, and they're arguing amongst themselves. I'm sure they're arguing over who's at fault, over who is supposed to go buy bread. But once again, they're in the boat. They're heading somewhere else. They have no food. That seemed to happen a lot. And as they're talking about this, Jesus... Here, he knows what they're saying, whether he can hear them or just knows. And so what do we have? You know, another deep sigh. And, and he, I, I just kind of wonder, what tone of voice did Jesus have when he said verses 17 and, and the 20? Like, right? Can, can you imagine? Is parents maybe who've been trying to homeschool their kids the last six months or so, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe Jesus just hit his limit with, with how obtuse his disciples were. It says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? 
do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? You know, like, I, maybe he didn't say it like that, but I, that's how I'm hearing it. You know, I think, like, Jesus hit his limit with these guys. It says, and, and do you remember? Like, Philip, do you remember when we, we um, fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves? How much bread did we have afterwards? Twelve baskets. And Andrew, when we fed 4,000 people with just, just a few loaves of bread, and, and how many basketfuls of bread did you pick up afterwards? Um, seven. And he's like, do you remember, Brett, gentlemen, all those times? Do you really think bread is the issue here? You know, do you not understand? Um, so that, you have these back-to-back passages of spiritual blindness by the, the unbelievers, even though they're the religious leaders. They were the unbelievers. They did not have eyes to see that Jesus was the Messiah, the one. And yet we also have a different kind of blindness, his own followers. They see, they follow Jesus, but yet do they still understand? I think there's a point being made here. And that there's still spiritual blindness in those that follow Jesus. That we, there's still things that have to be worked through. And so let's, how does Jesus begin to undo that, that spiritual blindness? How does he begin to open our eyes to, to what Jesus is doing? Not just open our eyes, but also open our minds to understanding. And so next we have a miracle of the blind man. Jesus goes into a town and a blind man um, is brought to him, and he begs Jesus to heal him. And Jesus takes the man by the hand, leads him outside of town. Once again, he's not going to do the miracle um, in front of the crowd. And so he, it says he uses spit, and which sounds kind of gross, but I guess if you're blind, the little spit's worth it, right? So he uses spit to, to rub on his eyes and as a sign of healing. And he says, what do you see? And the blind man says, well, I see, I, I see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. I don't understand what I'm seeing. And then Jesus puts his hands on his eyes a, a second time. And then it says, the man is completely healed. He can see then, um, laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Did Jesus screw up a miracle? Like, like, what's, what's the deal? Why did it take two tries for him to, to heal this, this guy? And this is the only time in the Gospels where a healing of Jesus doesn't go perfectly the first time. So something must be going on. And I have two explanations. The first one is biological. So I would submit that Jesus actually did heal the man's eyes perfectly the first time. That man's eyes worked. The light was coming in and it was taking that light and sending it to the man's brain, right? Vision requires not just eyes, but it requires the, the brain that has to take in the neurons, have to transmit the right signals, and your brain has to interpret them so that you know what you're seeing. So I would suggest his eyes were healed, but his brain was not shaped in a way that he could actually understand what he was seeing. 
And so Jesus had to do a second healing, probably even a more complicated one in actuality, of, of, of fixing the guy's brain so that he in that moment could understand what he was seeing. So that's the biological explanation. But I think really even more important is the theological explanation. And it's pointing to this double layer of spiritual blindness. The, the, um, that first he had to fix his eyes, and then he had to give him work in his mind to open up his mind so that he could understand. Just as the Pharisees, they could not see Jesus at all, right? Even though all the things he had done, they could not see that he was the Messiah, he, that he was the one. Um, yet his disciples, though they had eyes to see, they could not understand. You know, he says back in his little, little thing back in verse 17, do you not yet perceive or understand Having eyes, do you not see? Right? So they couldn't understand what they're seeing. And I think Mark is pointing to that, that need that to overcome spiritual blindness, first of all, we need God to open up our eyes to the truth. But then we need him to begin to work in our mind to open up our mind to understanding so that we can take in what he's trying to do. That dynamic comes up again in the next passage. So I'm going to go beyond what I read earlier. Now it's a conversation with Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus initiates a question. He's, he's going to get them starting to think. And he says, who do people say I am? Who do others say I am? That's a safer question, right? You're always willing to answer that. Well, what do most people think about this? Um, and so he asks, who do people say that I am? And they give different answers. Well, some say... John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say some other prophet. But basically it comes down to they think he is a, one, like one of the prophets of old. Right? A messenger from God because they see what he's doing and they see resemblances to what they, they read about from especially Elijah. But then Jesus brings it home. He makes it personal. The question that each and every human being ultimately has to answer for their life. Who do you say I am? What we believe about Jesus determines everything else. It's the one question I, I believe no one can escape. We all have to answer it sometimes. What, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the first to get it. He's the first to say it out loud. You are the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. You are the one our people have been waiting for for centuries. You are the one from God. In, in Matthew's telling of the story, he, he also adds, you are, Jesus, Peter also says, you are the son of the living God. Peter gets it. He sees it. And he's the first one to say it. 2 Corinthians 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see Christ. They cannot see the good news, the message of the gospel. It's there, it's been done, but they can't grasp it. That's, that's the heart of spiritual blindness. And, and God has taken the... the, the the work. He's brought his light into the world, but people 
cannot see it. What did you have to, to get to see before you were willing to trust your life to Jesus? What was, the, what, was there some little truth, some idea, some, something that could open up your mind? I, I was a rather simple one. Once I believed God existed, I was, I was ready to, to, to join the team. Like for me, I didn't believe in God, that there was a God. And, and God, in opening my mind to the fact that he was there, he, he really existed, that was all I needed before I was ready to say yes to Jesus. I know for other people, though, it's often a different thing. I, I mean, just for, for Paul, um, later in the Bible, it talks about how the main thing he needed to know was that Jesus was raised from the dead. When he came to that truth, when Jesus appeared to him as a risen Lord, that changed everything for Paul. He went from being opponent to Christianity to the, the biggest apostle. Um, not to say this out loud, but think about that question. What did you have to get? What, what stumbling block was in your mind that kept you from seeing before you were ready to join the team? And then how does God overcome that blindness? So again, back to 2 Corinthians 4. It talks about how, you know, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But how does God bring his light into the world? Or how does, how does he use us for that? And that's verses 5 and 6. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So what part do we as believers play in God bringing light to, to those who need it? Two things. We talk about Jesus, and we come in the, the, the uh, role of a servant. We talk about Jesus. We keep our focus on him, on the message, the good news of, of Christ, and how he changes everything. He is the, the way their eyes get opened to the truth. I think about how in college there were people um, that came on campus and basically yelled at college kids about how, how they were all sinners and fornicators. They focused on telling them how much they've fallen short of the moral law of God, and that was their avenue to trying to reach people for Jesus. I don't think it was very effective. It seemed to make it harder for us Christians who were on campus. I don't, do they still do that? No, I hope not. Um, it seemed like it happened where, where I was in college. I don't think that's the winning game plan. The plan is take a look at Jesus. Take a second look at him. He's far better than you can ever imagine. And the second part of that is we become servants for Jesus' sake. Not in the role of, let me tell you everything I've learned, oh, you spiritually blind person, and I will instruct you. We take the role of servants. We come and just love people for the sake of Jesus. Somehow, that has a better shot of getting behind their, their defenses to the gospel, the blinding of the evil one. Because it goes on to say this. It says he has put the light of Christ within us. The, he said let the light shine out of darkness. He shines the light in our hearts. So it's there within us as we're interacting with the people of this world. That's how God 
opens eyes to the truth of Jesus and brings people into the kingdom of God. So Peter sees. He's ready. He's got it. I wish the passage ended there. But it doesn't. And so we got to see what happens next. See, Peter now sees who Jesus is, but does he understand what it means to follow him? So the very next thing is Jesus begins to teach as the Messiah. Now that they know who he is, here's what has to happen. He must be, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected and he, he will be killed. And then he will rise from the grave. He must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. Peter doesn't want to hear that part. That's not the plan he thinks God should do. He has a better idea for what it would mean to, to follow Jesus. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside, and, and maybe he's thinking Jesus is being pessimistic and saying, no, Jesus, we can, we can prevent this from happening. You don't need to worry about this. And so he begins to rebuke the Son of God. <laughs> yeah, that, how's that going to work? So he tries to do that. Jesus and rebukes him in turn very sharply, very harshly. Get behind me, Satan. Maybe what Jesus heard in Peter's words was the same thing that, that Satan tried to tempt him of in the, the desert. You can have, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world and you don't have to go to the cross. No, that's not the plan. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the, your mind on the things of man. Notice where's it at? It's in his mind. It's what he set his mind on. So this is saying that overcoming spiritual blindness means having our eyes open to the light of Christ, but then it also means God has to begin to speak into our mind. Um, Romans 12 talks about how do we as followers grow. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we grow up in this world, our minds are conformed to a, the pattern of this world. We can't help it. We just absorb it. The worldview we pick up as we, we go about, as we watch TV and movies and news and interact with other people, even if we try to completely shelter ourselves, we, we will by necessity pick up the, conf, the pattern of this world. But we as believers are called to take a different pattern. So as we follow Jesus... He begins to renew our mind. We begin to take in more and more of his word and allow that to shape our thinking. Uh, we begin to spend time in prayer and he, he shows us the areas where, where we have false thinking and ideas. And he has to, to recorrect. We gather with God's people and together we, we sort through what is God leading us. He opens our mind to understanding as we walk with Christ. As as Paul says in another place, says, for right now we see through a mirror dimly, but one day we will see clearly. We will see um, and become like him when we see him as he is. As we walk with Jesus, he's going to challenge us. There are areas of spiritual blindness in each one of us. 
there are things that, that if you're going to follow Jesus, at some point you're going to be the Peter in the story. And he's going to say, you have it wrong. You're out of line. Your thinking is off. And it's going to hurt to, to hear that and, and respond to that rightly. Some people walk away because they don't ever want to be challenged for their, their spiritual blindness. But if we're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be times he's going to show us a new way, a right way. I want to close with a picture. And it's a simple picture. Is this what following Jesus looks like? Have that up. When we decide to follow Jesus, we see the bridge, right? We could see enough to take a step forward, but we can't see all that it leads. We can't see over the side. We're stepping out and we're putting our, what we know of ourselves, what we trust of ourselves onto him. We have enough sight to see the one we're giving our life to. So we trust Jesus and then, all right, Jesus, what do you have in mind for me? When you first started following Christ, when you first gave your life to him, did you know what you were getting into? I could, you know, if I'd have told my 15-year-old self, one day you're going to be a pastor standing up in front of, you know, 100 people and stuff, talking about the Bible, I'd be like, dude, no way. There's no way that's going to happen. You know, did you know what you were getting into when you first started to follow Jesus? All the things that you would have to, to deal with and address in your heart and in your life. We know he's good. We know he, we can trust him. We know that if we follow him, even if it means we're taking up our cross and we're going with him, we know he is worth it. We'd rather follow Jesus and give up our life for him than try to hold on to life in this world and ultimately lose it. Let me pray. Jesus, we have decided to follow you. And sometimes we know you have to speak your word into our life. And Father, right now I just pray if, if whatever word we need to hear, each of us individually and we as, as a congregation, May we hear it clearly and may we be willing and ready to respond to you, Lord, to, to, to do the hard work of, of opening our lives to your correction, to, to your rebuke, to doing what you tell us to do. Give us hearts and minds to know you that we might in turn share the good news of you with, with, with a, a dark world that needs you. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen.